0: You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Emma Cunnington. I am the children's pastor here at City on a Hill. Uh, Derek is not here, so let's clear this up. To start with, I am English. I am not Australian. (laughs) If any of you heard him make that joke, we're clear now. We're square. Um, So I I am the children's pastor. I spend my weekends eating goldfish crackers and playing with Play-Doh. Not really. Uh, I do that a little bit. Um, but before I kick us off this morning, I want to explain to you a little bit why I am the children's pastor here at City on a Hill, why I love it, why I think it's important, why I spend my time uh, doing that every week. Um, so um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Barner Research Study did a study into when U.S. Christian adults became a Christian. of Christian adults in the U.S. made a decision for Jesus before they reached the age of 21, and 64% of those did it before the age of 18. big part of the reason why I'm in children's ministry and student ministry is because of that. The greatest chance of getting a person to make a decision for Jesus is going to happen before the age of 18. So I will argue with anybody that children's ministry and student ministry are the most important ministries within our church. Because that is the time that you are most likely to get a kid to say yes to Jesus Christ. And in my opinion, there is no greater decision that they can make, right? So our children's ministry, um, which I love being a part of, it is not entertainment. It is not free childcare for you. It is not a time filler so that adults can do the more important things in the worship service. Our children's ministry is purposeful. Every Sunday, we teach children the truths of Jesus Christ and who he is through different things like activities and games and Bible stories um, and lessons that we teach them. Uh, During the month of May, we taught our kids about the Holy Spirit. Um, through the series that you guys were going through. There was a week in May that you guys hit the Holy Spirit too. So it was really cool. We were learning some of the same things at the same time. But every week in May, we were teaching them something that was real and true about the Holy Spirit that could work in their lives. Uh, Our five-year-old Oliver regularly now prays to thank God for the Holy Spirit, uh, which I never anticipated that that would be a prayer coming out of his mouth, but he does. Thank you, Jesus, for my dinner. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. Um, But he's taking a awesome biblical truth and he is applying it in his life and he's learning something that's what we do in our children's ministry um, children have just the incredible ability to have a big faith I don't know if you've ever told a little kid a story about something that's just crazy and they look on their face like wow did that really happen well we do that every week with big stories in the bible and when they go wow oh, did that really happen we go oh yeah Oh, buddy, that guy got eaten by a whale for three days. Think how stinky that belly was. But they have, there's a, a, a unique thing about children before they've kind of been like jaded by the world that they just have this ability to believe stuff that's just huge. And maybe later in life, they'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds a little crazy. But our kids are like, that's really cool. God did that. We capture their imaginations for Jesus. We tell them these big stories at an age where they can believe it and they get excited about it. But the children's ministry is not there to do the ministry to children alone. It's not even the most important people to minister to your children that belongs with the parents. The Bible is clear about our role as parents and what we are supposed to do in the discipling of our children. Our children's ministry and our student ministry is a help that comes alongside you as parents. We are not here to take the primary role, discipling your children. That is not what that is about. Sunday morning and Wednesday night alone is not enough to do that. We are there to help you. Parents have to take the primary role in developing their their children spiritually. So I wanna dig in a little bit to what the Bible tells us about that. Firstly, I wanna tell you, if you are a parent, you are a teacher. Whether you like it or not, you are a teacher. There are many things that we teach our children, right? From the very little list of how to use a spoon, how to go potty in the toilet, how to wipe their butts, how to put the shoes on the right feet. You can tell I'm speaking from personal experience right now, can't you? To how do they interact with other people? No, you cannot hit your sibling when you want that toy. Maybe if you use your words, we could figure out what you want. There's lots of things that we teach our children. We are our primary teachers of our children. And there's got to be lots of things that we teach our children about Jesus to all I know that um, while I, I become a more patient parent when I put aside my assumptions of what my children should already know, We have our five-year-old Oliver, we have our two-year-old Abigail, they're learning different things at the moment. But there's times when I feel frustrated, especially with the two-year-old, because why did you just draw on that chair? To me, I know, we draw on paper, we do not chairs on chairs. To her, it is a blank canvas that looks really cool when I put that marker on it. (laughs) I can get frustrated, I can get mad about it, or I can be patient and realize, okay, today's lesson is we do not draw on chairs, we draw on paper. When I let those assumptions go, I become a more patient parent with my children. And it's the same with uh, when we teach them about Jesus. When I stop assuming that they should know something, I can be more patient in helping them learn about who God is and to help them understand who he is. So I want to open our Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. We're going to be looking in verses 4 to 9, if you have one. And this is what it says. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These verses are actually part of a prayer that Jews would learn that kind of encompass what God teaches them. In Mark, uh, when Jesus asked the greatest commandment, he quotes back these verses, to them to point out what the greatest commandment is um, this kind of, I believe this passage lays it out really clearly to us how do we disciple our children, how do we show them who Jesus is, the first thing he says hear "O God, uh, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one he is telling them, he is reminding them, there are no other gods this is it there is just one God when we parent we should be pointing them back to the one and only God. There's lots of decisions we have to make as parents, lots of things that we have to decide. How important is this for my child? What prominence am I going to give this in their life? What am I going to teach them about how we prioritize our things? God should be number one. Through our actions, through the decisions we make for our kids, we should be telling them God is number one. He says, um, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. If we want to disciple our children, we first need to know the person that we're trying to disciple them to be like. We need to be, as parents, growing in that. We need to be learning more about the Bible. We need to be growing in our faith to have it to pass on to our children. When he says it, it should be on your hearts, that's telling us it should be so deeply ingrained in you that that is what comes out of you and you shall, talk of, uh, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. Whatever you are doing, it's a good time to have a conversation about Jesus, right? When you're sitting on your couch, when you're walking down the street, when you're interacting with another person, we can seize those opportunities to point our children back to who Jesus Christ is. Well, why did you speak to that person like that? Because I love them and because God loves them and I want to show them Jesus' love. Why did you give that to that person? Because God loves me and I want to show his love to other people. We can seize those moments, those opportunities. And when you lie down and when you rise, any time of the day, if you have small children, I don't know about you, but mine, like wake up and they're like ready to go, 6.30, let's go, let's talk about everything. God's telling us whenever any time of the day. Talk about it. There's, a, there's a, like, a phenomenon that happens at bedtime. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's like, uh, like uh, my five-year-old tends to do this. His head hits the pillow and he looks at me and he goes, well, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, you're stalling. This is bedtime. I'm so very close. I'm about to get my hour and a half of peace and quiet before I go to my bed. Maybe we should just talk about this tomorrow, son. But really, the Bible tells me, why not seize that moment? Why not take an extra 15 minutes to discuss that truth of Jesus that he has question about? His mind's open, he's ready, he wants to hear. It's only myself that thinks, I just want to go to sit down right now, please let's not talk about this. God is telling us, it's a great time. Let's have that conversation. So God's expectation of us is clear. Talk with our children. In whatever we're doing, include them. Show them who Jesus is through the way that we live our lives, through the way that we make our decisions, through the activities that we do, and talk to them about it. But let's agree on one thing this morning if you want to. Parenting is hard, right? Right? I think it's probably the hardest job I've ever had, parenting our small children, is a lot of responsibility, a lot of weight, a lot of questions, a lot of decisions. I'm a very indecisive person. This is hard for me. Um, But there is... uh, Back in April, we decided to run a new parenting class here. It's called Conscious Discipline. And the lady that led it was Trisha Demery. She uh, attends here. Um, but professionally she works in the HEB school district. She uh, works with special education children, but she also spent the last seven to eight years um, learning about conscious discipline and teaching teachers how to apply it in their classrooms. So I was really excited. I signed up for the class. I'm like, I'm excited for those parents that are gonna experience this class. I'm excited for myself. I'm gonna have seven weeks. I'm gonna learn all these tools and tricks to get my kids to do what I want them to do. By Friday, I will have a new child. Y'all know where this is going. <sighs> I walked out of that first, first class and I was really frustrated because for an hour and a half I heard repeatedly in different ways if I want to see something different in my child, I must first be different myself. That was not the class that I signed up for, okay? <laughs> but I since spent seven weeks learning all these different tools, which I first had to apply to myself. Because I cannot give to my children what I first do not have myself. And so uh, I cannot expect my kids to be patient and kind with each other if I am not first patient and kind with my children There's a a meme on the internet, I love memes, I don't know if you do, Um, but it says, uh, parenting expert, children model the behavior they see. Uh, Parents, that is false, I clean, they do not clean. (laughs) It is true, in my house I clean, my children do not clean. Modeling behavior is not a science to get the results that we want from our children, but it is a good place to start. There's a a unique thing when your children start to speak and you start to hear words come out of your mouth, uh, their mouth, and you think, I said that. (laughs) Just like that. And sometimes it's a really good thing. Sometimes I listen to Oliver calming Abigail down when she's upset about something. He's like, Oh, it's okay. It's going to be all right. We can fix this this way. And I'm like, I speak to him like that. Yay, good job. And there's other times when he's like, "Will you just be quiet?" I'm like, oh. <laughs> "Also me." That one hurts a little. It's like when your children come out with a really inappropriate word at the really wrong time, and you're like, "Oh, they learned that from me." Oh no, did <laughs> you? But if I want to see something different in my children, I first have to start with myself. Uh, Over the last year and a half, God has really been teaching me something that I wish wasn't true, but I'm learning to embrace it. That I will never be a perfect parent. That is not happening this side of eternity. But I can be a parent that makes progress. I can be a parent that every day of the week picks herself up and tries again and trusts in the Holy Spirit to lead me. I can be a parent that does the hard work to be a better parent. Life often gives us bumps and bruises along the way. We pick up character defects, issues, all these different things that affects the way we parent our children. Three weeks ago, I joined a freedom group because I saw some of those things in my life that I didn't like. Some of the things I saw passing on to my children, I was really proud of. I'm like, I'm, I'm I see they're getting that from me, and I'm really excited about it. And other things I see, I'm like, I don't like that. And I see that in myself. So I knew I have to do the hard work with myself first before I can even start to think about how I parent my children. So I joined this group and I was reminded um, of the things that we pick up over these years, these bumps, these bruises, these things that affect me. But I was also reminded of the hope that I can make progress. I'll never get to perfection but I can be a parent that shows my kids I can make mistakes and it's okay, but I can also work on myself to be more like Jesus. I can be a parent that shows my kids I can give myself grace, but I can try again to do something different. And in turn, they will hopefully see that. This church is awesome in the ways that we want to support and resource our parents. I don't know about you, but if you feel like when I talk about having a conversation about the Bible with your children, that might like, like just create just ultimate fear within you, there's Bible studies. You can go to a Bible study, and you can learn a little bit more about the Bible, and you can tell your kids about what you learned that day. It doesn't have to be complex. Don't need to start in Revelation. But we can. We can get better. We can improve. And I see parents do that. I see parents that are committed to going to Bible study each week. They're learning about the Word of God, and they're passing it on to their children. If, like me, you see things in your life that you're like, I wish I wasn't passing that on to my kids, there's a freedom group for that. You know, we say that a lot, right? Got a coffee addiction, there's a freedom group for that. There is. There is. I guarantee you there's a freedom group that would help you work through those issues in a practical way that gives you hope, not despair of, I'm never going to be better, but hope and a process to get you to be better, making progress. Every week I see kids within our service, and it's so exciting to me. I know, especially when you have little kids, just getting everyone out the door on time with clothes on, with shoes on the correct feet, with breakfast in their bellies and not on their t-shirts, to church every week. Sometimes that is the only win you got. We, got. we made it here. Nobody lost their mind completely. Everyone is dressed. We're here. But you know what? When you do that, you're teaching your children that church is important, that being in a community with other believers is important, that Jesus Christ is worthy of our time. It's a win, and I'm so proud of parents when I see that, when I see them struggling into the kids' building, and you can tell it's been a morning, but they still showed up. God is pleased with that. So we have, we do, we have, um, we have these resources here. Seize them, take take advantage of them. They'll help you be a parent that makes progress.
1: It was my fault. Um, <laughs> You know, Emma and I, uh, we've uh, worked together in ministry for 16 years, and this is the first time we've gotten to teach together. So this is a pretty cool opportunity for us today. But, you know, as as you guys listen to what Emma's uh, saying here this morning about parenting, you know, some of you, you know, may uh, be kind of thinking, well, you know, I'm not a parent of any of the children in this church. But I want to tell you this morning that you do have a responsibility to the children in this church. And we're going to look at what the the Word of God says about that here this morning. Um, many of you um, have been here for our parent dedications that we hold, you know, once or twice uh, a year. And uh, show me your hand if you've been at a parent dedication here on a Sunday morning. Okay, good. So when uh, when we came with Oliver when he was born and, and committed ourselves, I learned and realized the stance that our church has is not to dedicate the children to God necessarily but to dedicate myself as a parent to bring him up in the way that he should go. There is a parent dedication, not a child dedication. And one of the most powerful moments of, of that uh, ceremony is when, as a church, uh, you are asked, will you stand with the parents in this decision? Will you stand with them? And, and everybody stood and, and, and was just visually showing me, I'm with you. I'm gonna be alongside you. I'm gonna stand with you in this journey that you're on to bring up your kids in the way that they should go. But my question is what does that really look like when you sat down? <laughs> After that moment, that powerful, significant, symbolic moment, what does it really look like for us as a church to come alongside, to stand alongside parents? And be here for the kids and the teenagers in our church. And we're gonna look at two characters in scripture uh, that didn't have children. And the example that we can learn from them, the first one is Jesus. We're gonna look at two questions. Go, what is my attitude towards children and teenagers in the church? And what action should I take? And we're gonna start with Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 33 to 37. And it says this, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe Jesus did have kids. (laughs) On this journey, in the backseat of a car, arguing over something that they shouldn't be arguing about, and Jesus is like, what's going on? What are you talking about here? And uh, it kind of continues on. And he says, and he sat down and called the car, uh, sorry, and called the 12 and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So we learn a few things here from Jesus. First of all, Jesus accepts the child. He accepted him. He brings him in among the adults, among the disciples, and allows him to be a part of this momentary gathering that is happening. And he accepts him. It says that he brought him in among them. Second thing we learn is Jesus embraced the child. And, and you know, in today, uh, you know, we, we have a challenge with this, right? You know, we the best we can do really to be safe is, is to maybe give a side hug or a fist pump or a high five. But here we, we read this language that Jesus took him in his arms. Like he's he's showing him that he is welcomed he is physically showing him affection and and making this kid know that this isn't just come here kid sit here you know like he's showing being loving towards the kid gentle towards this kid and lastly uh, we see that Jesus encourages the child and I want to talk about this for, for a minute because you know there's there's three different ways that you can receive a compliment or an encouragement you know and the third most effective way is if somebody comes and tells you directly hey what you did, that week was really great. You know, what I saw you write was really inspiring. They tell you to your face just one-on-one privately. That's like the third best way you can receive a compliment. The second best way is that they do it publicly, right? They, they talk about you in a public forum with you present, and uh, and it kind of makes you a little bit embarrassed, a little bit shy, uh, but you receive that compliment even greater than if they had just told you one-on-one privately. But the, the way that a person receives a compliment the most, the most effective way to encourage somebody is when they find out that you was talking about them, but you didn't tell them you was talking about them. You know, somebody comes to you and says, hey... You know, John was talking about you the other day and said that when you did this, this is the effect it had on him, and he was really excited about what you were doing. Man, that's like the biggest encouragement that you can that you can get. It's like wasn't direct, it wasn't trying to pat you on the back, you know, it, it was just subtly it was out there, people were appreciative of something that you've done and it was recognizing you. And I think about this kid that's been bought in, that's been accepted, he's been embraced, he's he's been put with Jesus. And he's sitting there thinking, man, this famous Jesus thinks this about me. That he might kind of be like this. I'm going to show this picture. <laughs> he's, he's pretty excited. You know, he's like, wow, famous Jesus loves me. But when somebody welcomes me, they welcome Him, oh, I'm the example of all children. Like, if you accept child like me, that you're accepting Jesus himself. Wow, this is awesome. Like, he's walking away with his head held high while the disciples are walking away with their tails between their legs and their head hanging low, and they've been schooled by the rabbi, right? And this moment is a significant one for the disciples to learn. It's Jesus showing them the value here of children. And how valuable they are, and how loved they are, and how precious they are. And you would think, right, after a moment like that, after they've, you know, been called out for talking about who is the greatest, after seeing this visual lesson of Jesus bring this kid in, that they would have learned their lesson, and they they would have changed. All right, let's look in the next chapter of the book of Mark and see what happens here in verse 13 of Mark chapter 10, it says, And they were bringing children to him, this is the crowd, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Great. Here they are, the very next chapter, not having learned their lesson, and rebuking the children and trying to send them away and stop them from coming to Jesus. And when Jesus saw it, it says he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And we kind of read this passage, you know, perhaps in a story tone. I don't know how how you hear this when you look at those words, but you know, it's not like Jesus was singing them a sweet song. And suffer little children to come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No, this is not Jesus. Jesus was indignant. He was angry. And he says, listen, you fools. (laughs) Let them come to me, dang it. I want the children to be here. And he is ticked off at the disciples. He's like, you don't understand. You are not getting this. And, And he kind of rebukes them and, and tells them that we need the children to come. And the very next verse, verse 16, it says, And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And we learn something massive from that one verse, because three times that plural word, them, the, the multiple children, it is in there. And, and it's not just like the chapter before that we see Jesus bringing this child in, as a sermon illustration, and then never again do we see Jesus care about children. This very next chapter, we're seeing Jesus embrace the children, bring them in, and let them to be a, a part of it. And then we have to ask, why did they do this? Like, why did the disciples act in this way after this conversation had happened before? Why did they rebuke the children and send them away? And we don't really know. You know, there's a few ideas I, might, I have. And maybe uh, they, they thought Jesus was too busy. For these children, right? They, he's got too many important things teaching people, healing people, doing all these gr- crazy things that's going on. And these kids are going to be a distraction to the really important work that this rabbi leader is doing. And so keep the kids away. He's got important things to do. Maybe it wasn't anything to do with them protecting Jesus. Maybe the reason they rebuked the children was because they don't like children. Maybe the children were a nuisance to them, to the disciples. They were a distraction, and added, you know, responsibility, another thing to, to figure out. And the, the reason the, the disciples rebuked the kids was because they didn't have patience with kids. You know, maybe it wasn't either of those things. You know, maybe they, they just really believed that our adults were more significant, more important than children. And, and for, the, for the adults... to to get to be ministered and blessed and and, and access to Jesus, you kids will get to that. You'll get that when you grow up, you know. Right now is not your time. And it was just maybe an attitude of, it's just you're too young right now, you know. And and what the reason for, for the disciples' attitude towards children and why they did what they did, we don't really know. But it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, what attitude do we harbor towards children? And teenagers in the church you know do do we sometimes see them as a nuisance or an addition to the real most important ministry which is to adults that's not the attitude that jesus is displaying here and we and we have to look in our hearts and and ask ourselves you know am i guilty of undervaluing the children and the youth that are a part of of our church Am I harboring any negative attitudes towards them for some reason? The other, the other example we have uh, is from Paul the Apostle, who also didn't have any kids. And he says this in uh, Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3. says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In Colossians three twenty, he does the same thing. And there's three things we can learn from this this passage from from Paul. And number one is he included the children when he wrote this. He wasn't writing this part to the parents to tell your kids. He writes directly, children, obey your parents. He doesn't write, parents, tell your children to obey you. He's directly communicating to the kids, and he's including them in his teaching here. Second, we learn he instructed them, honor your father and your mother, and he gives them a direct instruction on how they should live their life. Honor them. You know, you need to do this. This is something you need to do. I got to uh, talking with a a parent this week at VBS, and um, it was a cool kind of, I thought it was a cool moment. There was another child there whose parents weren't able to be here, and that child needed correcting. And this member of our church, you know, knelt down and said, hey, is this how we're supposed to act? Was gently speaking to them, encouraging them, but also instructing them. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to be when you go back to your group. And afterwards, we talked to you said, please, if you ever see my kid doing something like that, you have the permission to do the exact same thing with my kid. You know, and sometimes we have to know that. To stand by the parents, then when we stand up and say, we're going to stand by you, sometimes it means instructing the kid. I'm not saying disciplining the kids. I'm saying there are times where we need to instruct them. Hey, here's where you need to be. Here's what you need to be doing. Where's your parents? You know, let's help you. But lastly, we see here that he inspired them. You know, one of the the most famous questions a kid will ever ask is, why? 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 Everything's why. And Paul knew this, I think, because he, he instructed them, honor your father and mother, but then he tells them straight away, why? That it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. But there's a, there's a reason, there's a benefit to this. Not only am I telling you you should honor your mother and father, I'm telling you that this is going to have benefit for you. There's a, it, there's a reason for it. You're going to benefit from it. And your, your life's going to be better because of it. And this is an evidence that, uh, that you are uh, obedient to God and His blessing is going to be with you. And He's given them the vision and the reason and the why behind the instruction. He's inspiring the kids. And, um, you know, every one of us at, at this church has the opportunity to, uh, to bless our church and to stand with parents... By doing these three things with the kids and the youth in our church, to include them, to instruct them, and to inspire them. And Emma is going to share how you can do that.
0: All right. So practically, how do we include them? This is not just for parents. This is for the church. Let's include them. Let's make it normal for children to be a part of what we're doing Not just in the children's ministry, not just in the student ministry, but in the wider body of the church. I don't know if you've noticed before, uh, but children are a little noisy sometimes, and they can bring some disruption with them. Let's normalize that. Let's show parents that it's okay. It's okay if they can't sit through the service without needing to get up and go to the potty. It's okay if they want to twirl around at the back for a minute. It's all right little reminder that everything we do here is recorded on Sunday mornings, so if your child is disruptive and you have to walk out for a second or you have to try and calm him down and you miss something, you can go back and watch the sermon again and see all the parts you missed. Right? Let's normalize um, them being included. There are great benefits to our children being in a children's ministry and a student ministry that is designed and tailored to reach them where they are in their age, in their development, that's designed to teach them on their level. But there are also incredible benefits of them being a part of the wider church and what we do as a church body. Nights of worship are a great time to introduce children to worshiping with the whole body of the church. I don't know if you, we've brought some of our kids to night of worship a few times. To me, they're very distracting. I come into it with a different expectation. I'm not coming in with the expectation that I'm going to have a great time connecting with Jesus in this moment. I'm coming into it going, okay, how do I stop my kids doing something catastrophic? (laughs) I changed my expectation, but I know that they're learning something They're seeing that the songs that they sing in kids' church, we sing songs too. Praising Jesus is important at any age. We have a few less actions in here, but that's okay. They're learning while they're here. So if you're a parent, bring your kids. Bring them to church sometimes, bring them to things like night of worship. Don't be afraid that they may be a little disruptive. It's okay. It's a great sign of a church that is growing and alive when we have children. And they're a part of it, right? If you don't have kids, or if you do, and you see a parent bringing their kid in to something that they might feel a little nervous about doing, encourage them. Encourage the kid. Give them a smile. At the end of service, say, hey, I'm so glad you were here today. I'm so glad you came to be a part of this. Let the parents know it's okay. A lot of disruption never hurt anyone. We'll be fine. We'll make it through. Let's instruct them. This is for parents and for us as a church. As parents, every month we, uh, in the kids' boarding, we teach a new series. And every month we hand out a parent booklet. This parent booklet teaches our parents or tells our parents what the kid learned in that, or should have learned in that lesson today. The big idea, every week we have a big idea, one short sentence that we want these kids to grasp uh, in what we're teaching them. It's going to have that in there. It's going to have the Bible story that we teach them in there, and it's going to have some questions for them too. So we give that to parents because sometimes just saying to your kid, so what did you learn in church today? Doesn't really get you the answer you want, right? I don't know if anyone's done that. I've done that with our five-year-old a few times, and he just goes, I don't know. I'm like, well, I know that's not what we try to teach you today, but I know parents do not have the same privilege that I do of, of reading through all our curriculum and knowing what we're teaching our children each week. So we do it to help you, and we give you questions. So you can say, rather than, what did you learn in church today? Well, what, did you, what was in the Bible story today? And what was your big idea today? And what did you learn about this person And we give you these questions to prompt you. Sometimes it's intimidating to start a conversation with your kid, and you're like, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know if I have all the answers or the questions that might come my way. But we want to help you in that. It's also okay to say, I don't know, right? This side of eternity, we're not going to understand everything about God. There's there's definitely going to be some questions your kid's going to ask, very obscure usually, very random. And it's okay to say, I don't know that bird. Maybe we can figure it out. Maybe we're just going to have to wait until Jesus reveals it in heaven. Okay? It's giving them a picture of how big God is. That's okay. And as a church, we instruct our kids. In our children's building, the way we run our Sunday mornings. And there's opportunity for you to be a part of this if you feel led to. Um, so in our elementary and our preschool, we do a big group teaching time. So one person each week teaches that time. We have videos. We have different object lessons. We have things that they can pull together to do that with. And uh, one person each week on a rotation comes and teaches that big group time to our kids. It's a great time. It's fun. It's lots of energy. It's really cool. And then when that time is over, they go into small groups that are designed for their specific age. And we have small group teachers, too. And those small group leaders, they are the ones that get into a relationship with the kids. They get to know the kids. They have the same kids each week that they're finding out about, you know, what did you do this week? How many brothers and sisters do you have? What is your favorite hobby? What do you like to do? What are you wanting for Christmas or birthday or whatever is coming? They're the people that get to know the kids each week. And each week after big group time, they have a little outline that they take and they do an activity with the kids. They do snack time. It's a very important time. They have uh, questions that they get to ask them about the story, and they get to unpack it on the level for the kids. And I have some incredible volunteers over there, guys, that show up every single week to do that with the kids. And I love it because I love to see the relationships that are formed between the volunteers and the children that show up every time. A few weeks ago, Oliver's teacher who's in their second service, Miranda, she was out because she had a work thing going on, and he comes out of his classroom at the end of the morning and goes, where was Miss Miranda? I'm like, oh. But you know what that tells me? That tells me he has a friendship with her. That on Sundays, he looks forward to seeing her in his classroom. That he enjoys spending time with her. And she just shows up. And she has random conversations with whatever five-year-old boys like to talk about. She does activities with him. And she loves him. We need people that will seize that opportunity say, I'm going to go help love these kids and show them Jesus through the words we're speaking to them and the things we're doing with them. As a church and as parents, we need to instruct our children. And then lastly, let's inspire them. I don't know if you've ever um, told a kid like a crazy story and they just capture their eyes and they're like, wow, this is really. Let's inspire them with Jesus. Let's inspire them with the Bible. Every week, um, I don't know if many of you know this, but we have a daycare that runs in our children's building during the week. And every week on Wednesday afternoons, I go over and I spend an hour with the after-school kids, the elementary-aged. And I spend an hour inspiring them for Jesus. I know some of those children never step foot inside a church. Their parents don't go to church on the weekends. They don't ever come. We're taking church to where they are. We're taking Jesus to where they are. And every week, it is probably the most chaotic hour of my week, I will be honest. But boy, it's rewarding to y'all. Every week, I'm teaching them what the gospel of Jesus is. I'm telling them that they were made with a purpose, that they were made on purpose. I'm telling them that Jesus loves them so much that he died for them so that they could have a relationship with him. And I watched their little eyes light up. For some of them, it's the first time they've heard that. They're like, whoa, this is so cool. And there's opportunity there to come inspire kids with me. Come and show them who Jesus Christ is. They're at an age where they can be, their hearts can be kind of captured for Jesus. Let's seize that moment. Let's seize those opportunities as a church. Let's put that value on our children and on our students. And see, this is important, and this is worthwhile work. Let me pray for us, Father God, we thank you so much for every child and every student that is a part of City on a Hill, every kid that you have brought here to this building, to this place. Father, I pray for our parents. I know there will be some that feel like they're doing great, and they're, they're having a blast. For others, it just feels hard and heavy and i pray that they would be encouraged today to see the good things that they are doing but they'd also be encouraged to see that there are steps that they can take to make progress that they will never be a perfect parent this side of eternity but they can be a parent that makes progress and moves forward in their parenting i pray for this church i pray that we as a church body would see the importance of reaching our kids of sharing with them who jesus is i pray that we would seize those opportunities We would step up when we see the need, and we would see the importance of that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: All right, guys. Well, hey, look at the clock. It's 11.41, Derek and James. Um, So, uh, hey, the other thing I wanted to tell you before we uh, we finish up here, if you feel led to start to get involved or get back involved in kids ministry or youth ministry, the best way for you to do that on the, the Church Centre app or on the website, you go to Connect, go to Volunteer Opportunities, and you can directly send a message and start that conversation with Emma or with Aaron. Uh, our youth pastor Aaron Nelson and uh, kind of start that but you know uh, help come on jump in get involved it's not something that you have got to do it's something you get to do and I promise you it is a blessing and it's something that will change your life for the good when you get to to be a part of that and so uh, think about that if it's something you want to do that's uh that's how you can do it well alrighty y'all hopefully I will see you all here next Sunday for July 4th celebrations see you then